Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. So we're starting the book of Exodus. So we left uh, after Hanukkah, the end of the story of Yosef. Yosef has had become the vizier of Egypt and in preparing for the famine, the seven-year famine, he amassed all the grain, put it all under Pharaoh's control, and then charged the people of Egypt for that grain, controlling, putting Pharaoh even more firmly in control of all of the resources and all of the land, and people were basically indentured servants, right? They, they could work the land, but Pharaoh now owned the land. They had to sell their land for food. So what Joseph essentially sets up is the centralization of Pharaoh's ownership and power of Egypt. And the plight of the people becomes worse, and the Jewish people are no different, right? It becomes pretty bad for them. That's where we're picking up in Exodus is it's been 400 years of slavery. That's where Exodus begins. We're in the second triennial year reading of all of these partiot. And so we are going to look at Exodus chapter 3 this morning. We missed the birth of Moses. So that's what happens first, right? It's the birth of Moses and all of the amazing women who are involved in that story. And now we have uh, Moshe, who is tending the flocks of his father-in-law, Yitro. Why is Moshe in Midian? He got run out of town. I'm sorry? He got run out of town. He got run out of town. What did he do to get run out of town? He killed an Egyptian slave master. You can't do that because slave masters are under Pharaoh's direction. You don't get to just kill one of Pharaoh's guys. I don't care who you are. And we will bring you a cough drop. Oh, thank you. Um, so Moshe, Moshe does this and now is essentially a fugitive. So he has run uh, for his life, and he, we have the scene at the well, right, whenever we're going to have a betrothal, it's often at a well, right? Rebecca, I think Jacob and Rebecca, yeah? I mean, sorry, um, Isaac and Rebecca, Jacob and Rachel. Rachel, we have lots of scenes at wells, so Moshe meets Zipporah at the well, and things go well. <laughs> and, and he marries her and her father is the high priest of Midian right so next time somebody wants to talk to you about intermarriage right you can say if it was good enough for Moses alright chapter 3 so we're picking up now where Moshe is working for his father-in-law at the dry goods store right the company store um, who would like to read? Now Moses, <clears throat> tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, drove the flock into the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
An angel of Adonai appeared to him in a blazing fire out of a bush. He gazed, and there was a bush all aflame. Yet the bush was not consumed. Moses said, I must turn aside to look at this marvelous sight. Why doesn't the bush burn up? When Adonai saw that he had turned aside to look, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. He answered, presumably, uh, exactly. here I am. And God said, do not come closer. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you stand is holy ground. And continue, I am the God of your father's house, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Okay. So here we have the theophany at the sneh, at the burning bush. This is the commissioning of Moshe. Right? So we're going to get the conversation between God and Moshe, that as Moshe is commissioned to become God's prophet. So when I teach this to the seventh graders who have this as their parsha for their bar about mitzvah, right? so I always, the other thing I always say is this, you can look at this as a test. God laying out what it is God needs in God's spokesperson. Right, and so if if we're reading it that way, then let's note everything that God seems to be ticking off the list. Right, so Moshe is tending the flock of his father-in-law Yitro, the priest of Midian. He drives the flock into the wilderness and comes to Chorev, the mountain of God. Clearly, a tradition that understands Chorev as the mountain of God. There is absolutely this tradition from early on that um, Chorev is identified as um, as the mountain of God. And um, so there's there's two traditions. There's Sinai and Chorev. Does Chorev exist? Is there such a... We, no one knows exactly what mountains these are okay. referring to. We, we, we kind of know the, the general region, but, um, but we don't... But we don't have, like, the wilderness of Chorev. Right? We have the wilderness of Sinai. We don't have the wilderness of Chorev, so we're not... It's it's less identifiable in some ways, but but neither are truly identified. So when do we know, do we know where Midian is? Uh, yes, we know where the ancient territory of Midian is. Right, so it's going to be you know, adjacent. So a malach, right? We're going to have whenever we have a theophany, we often get a malach, right? So we don't generally get God directly. We get First, a malach, right? Think of Jacob wrestling. You get an ish, and it's a malach, and it's this, and it's that, right? So, and it's always going to be. Remember, our literary technique is to make it all a little bit confusing because it's a theophany. So it's going to be not normal, right? So things aren't going to be laid out exactly cleanly. This one is not as bad as some others. Um, so a malach appears to, to Moshe in a blazing fire out of a bush. So the Hebrew word here is sne. And sne, some scholars want to say, is is Sinai. Right? So you're going to use, it's again, a literary technique to link this moment with Sinai. And if we're talking about the mountain of God, there's a tradition that it's Sinai. And, of course, Moshe is going to stand as he is commissioned, he will be the person to stand at Sinai um, on behalf of the people, right, to close that deal between God and the people. So very possibly um, that's what's happening here. Um, 
And we're not sure exactly what the bush is. It doesn't seem to matter that much. Um, but this is the only time we see this word um, sneh. And it's and it's it resonates throughout Jewish tradition. Um, and the moment at the sneh, right, becomes like a thing. So from now on, whenever you see something about what happened at the sneh, <laughs> you'll know. <laughs> Um, so there, there's a fire blazing out of the bush, and that, so let's let's look closely at the Hebrew. The English is not as is not great. All right, so so there's there's the malach in the ish in the fire from inside the sneh vayar. So he looked. Vayar, vihine hasne boel baesh vehasne enene ukal. So he looks and behold, right? We get hine, like that's that yo word. He looks and yo, the sne boel baesh is burning in fire. Vehasne enene ukal, but the sne is not eaten, consumed. All right, you've got your father-in-law's flock, right? And you're out in the <laughs> desert, or you're, you're trying to find pasturage for your father-in-law's flock. And there's a bush on fire. What do you do? Cry for, hmm? Cry for help. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Presumably, not a lot of people around to hear you. He turned to look at it to get a better look. Okay. Is that what you would do? No. Because, as one of my students said, it's fire, sheep are combustible. Right? Just saying. You've got your father-in-law's flock out in the desert. Something is on fire. You get the sheep out of there. You the, the goats, whatever whatever it is. You get them out of there. You don't stand around. Right, so we're not hiring you anytime soon to no. like ten flocks in the desert, clearly. Um, so to see what's going on. Like in the, the big tidal waves, you have the cows running away, the humans running to see what's going on. Uh, so it's amazing that those humans like live to pass their genes on to another generation because like you run towards a tidal wave. Hello. All right. So, but so I think so. The the point seems to be that it is exceptional that Moshe Vayar. He looks, right? I think, I think that's okay. If we're looking at this as a test for who God's going to hire, point number one: What is God looking for? Someone who pays attention. Attention. Somebody who who's going to pay attention. There's a bush on fire. Rather than just react, Moshe pays attention to what he notices that there's a snare. There's a midrash that says a whole bunch of people had passed that exact same bush on fire and didn't notice. But he also, he also seems to notice relatively quickly that it's not being consumed. Ah, so he, tur- he looks and he sees as he looks, meaning he looks closer, he 
notices that the bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. What does that mean? Why is it unusual? He says this is a marvelous sight. Yep, so why? why? Well, normally something made out of wood is going to, you know, gradually the fire is going to completely consume it and destroy it. Or, Or the fire spreads. So if something's on fire and it's wood, then the fuel that feeds the fire gets gone, right? I mean, that's just what happens, right? So how long do you have to look to know that a snare is on fire but is not being consumed? Not very long. Not very long because you can see the green leaves and you can see it's not being consumed. Well, but, but presumably there's a fire, right? You know, that's bright, that's going. You have to, you have to look to know that nothing's changing about the actual snare, right? You, you have to look pretty, you have to pay attention in a specific way to notice that. But, it, but isn't it also possible that, that it may not actually be a fire at all, but it may be something like, you know, some divine imminence, like a big glowy thing that's being interpreted as fire? It certainly, you know, we'll go with Laura Diamond. Certainly it could be, you know, why not? Um, because it's God, it could be a big glowy thing. Uh, but it tells us H. Okay. <clears throat> and so when we, it tells us that it's H, then, then at least Moshe's experiencing it as H. Okay. But he sees an angel first. And so that would call his attention to what's going on. So. So he would look. <coughs> not everybody sees an angel. So he notices not just the snap, he notices that there's a malach in the snap. All right, so it's, now it's three things Moshe has noticed. The snap on fire that some people have walked by, according to Midrash. Um, two, the malach in the snap. And three, that the snap is low ukal. It is not being consumed. So clearly, if we're looking at God's checklist, it is somebody who doesn't panic who doesn't freeze, or maybe he did freeze, um, but somebody who pays attention, somebody who notices and then looks more closely, right? He notices a few things and then notices that the snet is low. I have a few questions. Um, you know, when you go to the museum and you take a docent tour and you're looking at a big painting and then the docent points out some small image and then, then you see it. I, I'm wondering with Moshe if that it was burning, maybe the bush burned still, and it took, it, and he pers- he was able to perceive it when um, others weren't, and therefore after this incident, he didn't need any more imagery. He was able to speak to God, so he perceived God is there, and then he got it. God is there, no more imagery. Um, so that's one question. Another one is, why do you think of burning bush? It could have been a million different ways to make contact. And is there some correlation between uh, the burning bush, perhaps on Sinai, and Sinai on fire when we receive the Ten Commandments? Okay, that's a lot. Um, so <laughs> I thought I'd get them all in. Well, just, just go ahead and get them all in. Right. Um, so... I think for sh- starting at the last one, for sure, the Sne on fire and Sinai and fire, for sure, 100%. When God's there, 
stuff happens, right? So fire for sure. Why Asna when it could have been anything? There's tons of Midrash written on why Asna. The one that stands out the most to me, not, not going back and reading them all, the one that stands out the most is that, that God humbled God's self to speak from Asna to Moshe, right? That, that God on purpose does tzimtzum, you know, does kind of a contraction and chooses the humble sneh out of which to address Moshe, who is humble, right? His, you know, that he's known for being humble. Um, so that that's one that I recall. Um, does Moshe not need imagery again? Um, perhaps, you know, perhaps now he can, because we're going to see more about what happens with him and God, right? He's not, Moshe's not done yet. Moshe, Moshe only knows the gods of Egypt and Midian. As far as we know, Moshe knows the Egyptian gods he was raised with, and he's been hanging out in the high priest of Midian's house, right? Married to his daughter. So presumably that's what Moshe knows. So Moshe stands at this theophany, and, and, and as he begins to ascertain that this is something, you know, wacky, um, his first reference would be those deities, right? So God has to deal with that. <laughs> so that's so now we're going to see what happened, and so then so it's really on the other side of that. I think is your to your point is what Moshe understands or apprehends, right, Rebecca? I mean, would another way to, to look at it be that, that the fact that the bush is not being consumed and that God is speaking to the bush that is so extraordinary. That that statement alone shows this is not regular life. Absolutely, something here. Something's up here, right? Moshe, once he realizes the bush isn't being consumed, essentially it's a miracle, right? Like he, yeah, he's right. looking at something that is not normative so at all. The God laws of regularity have been suspended. You know, so it's a big. So big he knows problem. something's happening. So let's not leave him hanging. Um, so he sees that the bush isn't being consumed. And Vayomer Moshe, and Moshe says, presumably to himself, Asurana et hagadol Let me turn aside that I may see this appearance, this amazing apparition. Right? So this, the noun of the verb, to see, whatever it is. What do you, what's the noun of to see? Sight. Thank you. So let me turn, let me turn aside that I might see this great sight. I thought he was looking at it, so why does he have to turn aside? Ha! So what does this mean? If he's looking at the bush, he knows it's not being consumed. What does it mean? Let me turn aside that I might see this. Well, maybe, maybe he's well. He's in the, he's in the process of moving his flock from one place to another. Any, any. And, you know, he's obviously looking around, and he sees this thing. So it's more like, let me turn aside from the path on which I was going to be going to spend a little bit more time. So presu- presumably the snaz not in the middle of the road, right? So, so he's going to now leave the path, and he's going to go take, presumably, a closer look at this phenomenon. right? So if we're looking at the list, now what does God... What are we looking at? Because Moshe passes the test. So curiosity. so curiosity. So the ability to pay attention and then verify. Curiosity. Wanting to verify. Wanting to see more. What 
what is this? This is not normal. So what what's happening here? Especially since presumably he walks this way every day with the flocks and everything. Or certainly seasonally, right? You know, this must be the season where this is where you take the the flock. So all right, so the ability to pay attention, to not panic, and to to look closer, to to be curious. All right. And when God saw that Moshe turned aside to look, God called to Moshe out of the snare. So we only have the Malach until Moshe demonstrates his, not only these abilities or these, you know, uh, proclivities, but, but his willingness to do it. His interest and his, and he actually does it. Like we might be curious, but it's like I have sheep to, to deal with. Right, you know, I might be a curious person, but like, I, 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 my father lost sheep. Like, I, I got things to do, but clearly, so Moshe acts on that curiosity and and attention, and it's at that moment when Moshe acts, when he turns aside to look, that is when God calls Moshe. Moshe. What does Moshe answer? The correct response when you are addressed by God (laughs) is here I am. I am prepared. I am ready. Whatever it is you need from me, you got it. So Hineni, here I am. Vayomer. And he said, this being God. Vayomer. Al Tikrav Halom. So don't come, don't come any closer, right? And take your Sandals from off of your feet. Because the place that you are standing on is holy space. It's holy ground. Does the, do the commentaries talk anything about uh, other people seeing the angel as well? The Midrash talks about other people didn't see the angel. Didn't see the, to me... I think that God has been aware of Moses for a long time. Oh, for sure. And Moses has been looking around for God for a long time. So, for sure God's been aware of Moshe. That that we can assume, the narrator assumes. Like we can just, if we put ourselves in the shoes of the narrator, then for sure God's God knows Moshe from the whole beginning of the book, right? When Moshe's born. And so, don't you think Moshe knows God too or is looking for him? I I, I mean, w- we can we can interpret however we want what he's doing out there, and and maybe because he's searching, he finds, and other people walked right by it. It's I I get this sense of Moshe as being lost. Again, and some of it's my projection, right? But he's an adoptee who's now a refugee. His identity is really. Well, murky, right? It's even more than that. He's 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 a, he's a, he's a, he's a ref, he's an adoptee who lived like a prince. Who was yeah. at who the top, like right? And, the... and then makes uh, this uh, in the scheme of things this terrible mistake. <laughs> and now he now he's now he's here in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of sheep. And it <laughs> and it says in the text, it says he looked both ways. And then he killed the taskmaster. So he didn't do it right completely out of a fit of out moral outrage. He looks both ways to be sure nobody's watching. And then he kills the taskmaster. So I feel like Moshe Moshe's law he's 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 got a lot going on and God turns out to be the answer 
to what Moshe needs for his life, which is a goal, a, a role, a you know what it is he's going to do with his life. This is the answer. We know that. Because we read the story every year, right? We know that's what's going to happen. This is a hero tale, right? And Moshe's still in that place of the hero who's kind of in danger and has been lost and has fallen from a great height and was uh, threatened as an infant, right? Hercules and the snake, right? You have to have the infant threatened. like So it's a hero tale. And he's right now in that phase of the hero tale where he's... He doesn't even, he's lost. He doesn't have his task yet. Exactly. And um, and then we're going to see him get his task. Right. I think he, uh, my thought here, uh, why did God uh, create this uh, display uh, could uh, we have gone without it and to answer that question why did he do it because God thought this is very important and I want this guy's attention and I think that's the motivation for this, for God having done all this so God, I mean, God sets it up <clears throat> God sets up the test Will Moshe stop? Will Moshe care? Will Moshe notice? Will he engage? And as soon as he passes the test, we got the you know the magic answer. Moshe, Moshe, and Moshe says, Hineni. Right? And here begins our now begins our conversation. Just along that line really quickly. Set the angel. What's the distinction between the angel of Yudhe? And in this sentence, it says when Yud Hey Hey saw the nature around and then turns to God. So this particular Hebrew, this version of God, mm-hmm. what emanation of God can derive any meaning as he turns into the God and then calls out his name. So an yes. So, yeah. so first of all, whenever we have a theophany, it gets all messy. There's an angel. It's God. It's something. It's an Ish. It's a monster. It's a, like it, it's very. It's supposed to be kind of confusing. So it's not going to be clearly delineated. Now the angel's gone and here God speaks. What we know is Moshe encounters an angel. And as soon as Moshe turns aside to look more closely, God calls God's self. God, God's self calls to Moshe by name. Moshe, Moshe. Right, that God. In the Hebrew, what version of God? We're interpreting as God, but is it, yeah, it's a, it's, there's a distinction there somewhere between a good... Hey, okay, Elohim. Elohim. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Elohim. Elohim. Elohim mito chasne. And Elohim called to Moshe from out of the snow. We're going to get you a day in a minute. All right, so take your sandals off for the place on which you're standing is holy ground. Now what does God say? Vayomer. Anochi Elohe avicha. I am the God of your ancestors. I don't like fathers. <clears throat> um, you don't like the use of the word father, right? Because it's because it's not his father, yeah. right? You know, I mean, it, it's Amram is his father. I think they, they translate father when the, when it, what it means is ancestor, right? Abraham is five hundred years ago. That's not your father, right? It's it's distance. It's a distant ancestor, right? Ancestor implies distance that is more accurate here than father. So it's in my humble opinion. Um, 
So Vayomer, and God says, Anochi Elohei Avicha, I am the God of your ancestor, um, Elohei Avraham, the God of Avraham, Elohei Yitzchak, the God of Yitzchak, Velohei Yaakov, and the God of Yaakov. Vayaster Moshe Panav, and Moshe turns his face, meaning away, Kiyare Mehabit El Elohim, because he's afraid to look at Elohim. Does Moses know who Abraham is? So, so here is the big moment. Now this, this is where I tend to interpret this differently than some other people. Some other people say, oh, now I know who you are because you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, my ancestors. And what, the way I interpret this story is Moses has just been told who his birth family is. Moshe doesn't know. In my, again, in my reading, Moshe's being told now. You, it's Ancestry.com. He spits in the tube and he gets the results and it's, oh, you are a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So if we, if we read it that way, this is a huge moment for Moshe. This is an answer for Moshe about why his life may have felt so off. Because he's actually the descendant of those slaves. But those slaves had ancestors. Right? They're, they're a people. They're a, well, they're not a people yet. But they're, they're, they have their own ethnicity, their own story. And he's now realizing he's part of that narrative, which maybe is why all the other narratives didn't make any sense to him. Did he know he was adopted? This, this, this is the whole thing. The so why would, we, why would we imagine that Pharaoh's daughter would tell him that he's a Hebrew. Well, but his but his mother was his. Uh, so her right. That's just her. No, I understand. Yeah. So the point the point you're making is, and she would dare tell it because heaven only knows can't let this secret out. Right. So what you're saying is that that his stepmother and his mother kept quiet. And Colluded. Right. Well, to, to, to raise him. Did, did his stepmother know that her? She didn't know that the handmaiden was... We don't daughter. know. That's right. We don't know that Pharaoh's daughter knows Correct. that Yocheved is his birth mother. Never we have no that. reason no reason to think she knows that. Miriam arranges it. But why did he kill Miriam? Because he saw injustice. He saw the taskmaster doing something horrifying. And I like the story way better that he didn't know that he was a Hebrew. Because then it's an act of pure outrage. Right. That a human being would treat another human being like that, and that's the Moshe that God commissions. Not revenge. Not, or not, you're hurting my people, right. Right. and so I'm gonna hurt you. Right. But you're hurt, you are hurting another human being yeah. in a way that is intolerable to Moshe. And he acts, right, out of that outrage. And you're answering my other question about did Moshe, was Moshe aware of God all those years? If he didn't even know he was a Hebrew, then he wouldn't have been. Correct. But but since he was raised in a uh, the most affluent household in the country, presumably, the he got, presumably he got some kind of decent education. And so even though, you know, he probably would have learned something about, you know, he would have maybe heard the names Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, and but 
sort of maybe in some dismissive way. Well, like, yeah. these, so, are, these are ancestors. So think about them. all people who are slaves who are serving mm-hmm. the children of wealthy, whatever. The, the children come to know the stories of their nanny mm-hmm. and their nanny's people. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, again, some, you know, and then it's dismissed later as, you know, less important than our history or whatever. But it's not. If Yochebed is his wet nurse, it is not beyond the realm of possibility to think that he would have heard Yochebed's stories about Isaac and Abraham and Jacob. So he, he would have a reference point, possibly. Um, but I believe this is the moment he's told by God, this is your ancestry. This is who you are. Dana? I, I was wondering... Wouldn't his father-in-law inform him of the anything? His father. Fa- how does he? How does Yitro know anything? Oh, you mean informed him about religion or about yeah, his? About the god, like Elohim, and the god of the. He he would certainly have ta- have been talking about Midianite gods, for sure. So, but hang on to your hang on to your question because when we get a little further down, we're going to go back to that. Um, the law, Pharaoh was the law. Pharaoh was a god, and Pharaoh was the law. And so, what, whatever Pharaoh did was legal. So, clearly, Moshe has a reaction outside of what the culture would have told him was normative, which is part of the reason. I think he's chosen, right? Is that he, he what he was? He didn't buy it. You know, he obviously had a reaction that was a countercultural to what he would have been enculturated to believe was just. If Pharaoh says this is how it goes, this is how it goes. Well, there always have been some abolitionists, right? Even yes. when slavery is legal, there's always a voice saying that it's not okay. That's not right. Right, and then clearly Torah. A, a lot. Torah's hero is somebody who was opposed to that kind of system of oppression and cruelty. So, if Yochavet or the princess never told him that he was adopted, your theory is that he always felt adopted anyway. He felt the things uncertain. he 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 grew up in the palace and yet couldn't abide what he saw happening. Right, and he he felt kills this. Place. He kills this guy, and now he's on the run, and now he's hanging out in Midian, and he's with the priest there. And it's like, you know, they're just right that it's there's something that's not on even, point. Maybe he even looks a little bit different than everybody else right? in the house. But this is the moment where his father, God, claims him. Yes. And he becomes connected and secure. Yes. This moment. And for some of us, that was the only thing that worked. But does he know to connect us? Right, is a connection to this God, because everything else is kind of out of whack, existentially out of whack. You don't know where you come from, right? So that it's existentially, he's unrooted in certain ways. And yes, absolutely, this is the moment that God claims Moshe. Right, that's what's important is that you are connected to me and 
that I know where you come from, right? And what you're going to connect to. Where you belong. And where you belong. And where, and that is now going to be your life, right? It's not just you're a descendant of these people. It's what's going to happen in a minute. You're a descendant of these people and now you have to go be responsible for them, right? The rest of your life is going to be about the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Is, is Moses confused up to this point? He knows he's different. I'm totally other. I'm totally reading into this. We have no idea. The narrator does not tell us one thing. Mm-hmm. I'm just the reason I'm harping on it is because usually people read it the other way. They read it that he knows who he is. They read it that when he goes out to beat the taskmaster, the, ta- the text says, because he says the taskmaster was beating one of Moshe's kinsmen. So Moshe must know he's a Hebrew. I'm like, no, that's the narrator talking. The narrator knows that that's Moshe's kinsman. It doesn't say Moshe knows that. Right? So I'm just reading it this way because I think it's a, it's a powerful reading yes. to say Moshe has not known until this moment who he is. He may not, but does he know, he knows he's other. He, he, we don't know. I'm saying that. No, he had to know he's other because he's in the, <coughs> in the palace and he's not accepted. He, he's accepted. He's the son, he's the son of the no. princess. But when does it he, let my people go? <clears throat> is that uh, after? Okay. When, when he goes uh, back. Okay. Right? So, so from your perspective, this is the epiphany. This yes, is yes. He wakes up. Yes, that he, yeah. some things start to make sense yeah. to him. I really was um, reacting to what Ruben said because I was thinking the same thing. I think uh, the whole burning bush is more than just a test. But, I mean, this is God after all. He could have just come to Moses at any point and said, Yo, Moses, here I am. This is what I need you to do. But that's not a test. R- right. Um, Here's what I need you to do is not a test. But what he did was set up theater because yeah. in the future he's going to send Moses to Pharaoh and there are going to be miracles. Yeah. And Moses needs to believe that there, this whoever this presence is is capable of these miracles. Sure. So when he walks into Pharaoh, he, he can feel very confident of who this God is. So this is God setting up in mm-hmm. a way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. From a literary standpoint, everything, there's summary, then there's descriptions written in scene. So it is meant to get your attention to something really important. Right. Your immediate scene, where it's immediate dialogue, it's not the summary of Jethro and how many daughters and whatever. Right. And there's a description of where he is specifically, he's with this flock, and then it goes right into the Right. And, and remember, these would have been told around the campfire. These are our ancestor stories. This is our hero narrative, right? So these would have been told in a way that you wanted to evoke that sense of action, of theater, right? That that's, it's created for that, these, these kinds of scenes. All right, so, thank you. Seven. We're getting so far here. And the Lord continued. I have marked well the plight of my people in Egypt and have heeded their outcry because of their taskmasters. Yes, I am mindful of their sufferings. I have come down to rescue them from the Egyptians and bring them out of that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the region of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. Moreover, I have seen how the Egyptians oppressed them. 
Come, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh, and you shall free my people, the Israelites, from Egypt. Okay, so God says, Ra'o ra'iti et ani ami. I, I have way seen, right? It's the doubling of the word to see. It's marked well. Like, it, I, I have seen, like mamash seen, the plight of my people, Bamitraim, in Egypt. Ve'etza'akatam shamati. And their outcry, I have heard. So if we think about this, these people have been enslaved for... 400 years. So, of course, the rabbis ask the question, what, God just now sees the plight of the people? Right? It's, and the universal answer is no. It's not that God hasn't seen until now. It's that the people finally cry out. There's finally a tzakah. There's finally an outcry from the people. And it has to be that the people cry out before God can act on behalf of the people to liberate them. Maybe it's the fact that Moses killed the taskmaster that was the turning point in God's view. Somebody finally stood up. Um, Except for the text says that the people cried out and God heard their cry. So it's the text leans on on this sa'aka as being pivotal. And Possibly it's not unrelated that, you know, that Moshe is ready, and so God can use, you know, Moshe as the redeemer, the one who yeah. took action and yeah. stood up and said no. In my mind, that would be why Moses is chosen, not because he stopped at a bush, but the more important thing is he stood up against this injustice. Well, that's why God put the bush in front of Moses. Maybe really God already chose Moses, and it's like, I need to get his attention. Or he noticed him. He noticed him, and now I'm putting him to the town. There was no leader for 400 years until Moses appeared, and God said, you're the God. So but we God could... tell him here that you are an Israelite. But God says, I am the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Your ancestors. Okay. Okay. That for me, that's the that's what we're talking about. So, so we could we we could sit all day and talk about and that wouldn't be a bad thing, like, but we can't. Um, but we could talk about okay, what what are the components, right? And so maybe it has to be somebody who's ready to stand up, or is it it has to be when the people are ready to be led, then you have a leader, right? Or is it God? You know, God seems to be responding to the people's outcry now. I'm going to come down there and do something about it. So now I've got, and I've got somebody ready to do it. Somebody who clearly demonstrated that he's ready to take whatever action is necessary. That's the kind of guy I need, right? And he passes all of the other moments that are necessary for God to be ready to call Moshe into relationship. So that's what's happening now. God says this to Moshe. I have heard their outcry because of their taskmasters. I am mindful of their suffering, and I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians. And I'm taking them out of that land, right, to a great place, one that is, right, Zvat Chalavudvash, a place flowing with milk and honey. What is the milk? Uh, goat milk. Flocks. So goat milk. I mean, there's there's plenty of pasturage, 
right? Because you've got semi-nomadic pastoralists here. So you, it's lots of pasture land, which means, you know, lots of produce, which is great. And what is honey? Crops. Dates. This is date honey. So date palms, right? So there's plentiful enough water to, in the place I'm taking them that dates are, right? The land is flowing with date honey, right? Um, but it's also filled with all these different people. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> that remains significant. Uh, turn on the news. Uh, yeah, it's, it's an issue. So, um, right. So there are all these people who live there, and I'm going to kick them out. Right? The Israelites are going to take it, because that's what you do in the ancient world. If you're going to take something, you've got to kick somebody else out. It's all inhabited. Right, so you're, we're going to push in, and you're going to kick them out. And the epiphany is, and Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. That's his moment of epiphany. It's, it seems. I, I mean, it's it's the moment that it, this is Moshe's response to this encounter, where we get Moshe, the, the humble person who understands that this is a huge thing, yes. and and he's humble and turns. Turns away. Um, the humble servants, right? Okay. So, now of course this is a Jewish story. So since this is a Jewish story, Moshe is going to say, thank you so much. I'm so honored. Sign me up. And what is the first thing you need me to do? Right? Right? So you want to read, you want to read that part? But. But. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and free the Israelites from Egypt? God said, I will be with you. That shall be your sign that it was I who sent you. And when you have freed the people from Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. Go on. Moses said to God, when I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, Asher Ahia. Yeah, that. (laughs) Continuing. (laughs) Thus shall you say to the Israelites, Ahia sent me to you. And God said further to Moses, Thus shall you speak to the Israelites, Yudhebabhei, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This shall be my name forever. This my appellation for all eternity. All right, so let's stop there for a second. All right. So, yes, it's a Jewish story. So God says, I choose you to be the agent of this remarkable deliverance. And Moshe says, I'm not worthy. Me anochi. Me el paro. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and free the Israelites from Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this is a tortured Sentence that scholars don't know what to do with. Um, and God says, I will be with you. And this is to you the sign that I have sent you. What's the sign? And so scholars want to, they pull this apart 73 different ways. There's like a limited amount of possibilities. One is that it works. <laughs> right? Like, it works, and that's your sign that I was with it. I sent you. He was, they leave, okay? 
Um, some want to say when you get, when you free the people from Egypt and you're going to worship at this mountain. Okay, that's the sign that it was me who sent you. But that seems a little delayed to me. Right? That Moses is supposed to wait until then to, to feel a sense of reassurance that God's going to be with him. So I don't buy it. I don't think it's in the text, personally. I think this is one of those moments where you're sitting around the campfire, right? And this shall be the sign. You know, I mean, the, I just, I just, I just don't feel like it's in the text. I want to say like it's something else, like you know, that you did dramatically or something. And I don't know what that would be, but I, I don't see it in the text. What What's the sign the that I'm going to be with you, right? About the bush. The bush. Yeah. So okay, the bush is the sign that I'm going to be with that I sent you. Okay. Just, I well, will be with you. That will be your sign. Maybe he's, his presence is so palpable. God's presence is palpable. And so Moses, you'll know I'm with you because I'll be with you. And that's your sign. Just the fact that I'm with you. I think it's tortured. Well, truly. There is at least one other time when Moses says the same thing. And that time he gets a more definitive answer. I will be with you. And the way you'll know is that there'll be. Uh, the cloud by day and the fire by night. Right. But he, but he does doesn't he say almost the same thing again? How how am I going to how how are we going to know? You're, you're supposed to send someone with yeah. like you're supposed to send an angel or something like you know make sure that you do or don't ask us to leave here. And God gives the reassurance. I will go with you. But what we don't get we don't get the word oat. We don't get the word sign there. Right. Oat oat is a sign. And. So the, the question remains, like, who, what's the oath? Either the snap or all these other things that are going to happen. Okay. Wouldn't some of it also depend on what, what Moses makes of God's reply? I mean, there's, like, there's no, I mean, nobody really knows what Eya Asher Eya means. So, so let's, let's go there. So remember Moshe and where he comes from. We have to understand Moshe in his context. So, okay, we're going to move on from what's this oath? We don't know, but I'm going to be with you, and then you're going to worship back at this mountain when it's all over. Moshe says to God, when I come to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's God's name? What am I going to say to them? Moshe needs a name because in a polytheistic system, when you say, the God of your ancestors sent me, which one? Right, right. Ra, Ishtar, Isis, Astarte, who sent you? Baal? Like, my ancestors have a bunch of gods. Right? But, again, this is why I believe Moshe doesn't know he's a Hebrew, because he doesn't know from monotheism. He asked, he's asking for the name because that's what you have to have in a polytheistic system or you don't know which temple to go to. Right? You need to know the address of the, of the deity that you're looking to buy the favor of or protection of or give thanks to. So Moshe's asking the right question for an Egyptian. Possibly for Midianite. We're going to go back there, Dana, I promise. So Possibly for a Midianite, right? I, I don't know Midianite religion very well. But but certainly for someone raised in the Egyptian palace, this is the right question. What is God's answer to that question? Eyeh, asher, eyeh. I will be 
what I will be. That's it. <laughs> right? Thus shall you say to the Israelites, eh, yeah, sent me to you. You will say to them, I will be sent me to you. And God further says to Moses, and you can say to them, right? The God of your ancestors, of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has sent me to you. This shall be my name forever. This my appellation for all eternity. Which one of those? Right? So the Torah text seems pretty clear. Ehyeh is the name we're dealing with. The text seems very clear, which is not traditionally what you hear, right? Like it's, the, I love it that this is God's answer. It's a little cheeky, but it's God. God can do God, God wants. But, um, but God is saying to Moshe, you're asking an Egyptian question and gives the Hebrew answer. I will be what I will be. That's the truth. God is telling the truth. God is not evading Moshe's question, I believe. God is saying, you're asking, the, you're asking the question you were raised to ask, but that's not applicable anymore because you're dealing with me now. And I will be what I will be. I'm not done being. Nothing static. I am being, capital B. And my being exists on your understanding and belief in me? Uh, I will be what I will be. And is that impacted by what you believe about me? I would imagine so. Right? But the thing, I want you to take in how big, how big this is, that this is God's answer. I will be what I will be. It is not static, and it's not a proper name, and it's not right. It's not finished. It's unfolding all the time. God, I don't know that God can even say what God will be because how could God know that yet? We weren't born yet, right? Do you know? I mean, I think it's an incredibly powerful answer to Moshe who wants to know who's sending me like who which which one what's your name and God is saying it's not the right question and when Moshe says show me you later right in the other theophany that amazing moment when Moshe says show me if you really love me if I've really gained your favor show me you God says it's the wrong question what do I look like God says, I will make all my goodness pass before you, right? And if you want to know me, you've got to start asking the right questions. But it's okay. God doesn't seem angry or upset. God is just resetting the conversation, right? It's a, we need to have a different conversation. I'm not saying no. But, you've, but, but the conversation has to change because you're asking the wrong questions. Mickey? Um, this is actually... Uh uh, uh, evolution of the concept of God. Whatever stage we are in history, I will always I will always be what I will be. And to each person, uh, they'll have their own concept of God. So clearly, we are getting 
This is different. This doesn't happen in Brayshit, right? So there's there's clearly an evolution. We're moving away from the anthropomorphic God who's walking around in the garden, right? Um, and this is a moment that we we see God differently. Like we we get God telling us differently what God is for us. So are you saying that in Genesis, for example, God is not necessarily transcendent, whereas here he becomes transcendent? So th- there is definitely a movement within Israelite theology towards transcendence that we really don't see fully completed until Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. That's when God becomes completely transcendent. Mm-hmm. We're still on the way. Yeah, right? But this is still, we're still not there yet. I see uh, a uh, polytheistic God here speaking. Oh, yeah? Tell me. Well, he talks about uh, he's going to give you the land that belongs to the, these other peoples because you are my people. Now, that's a polytheistic God speaking. So generally, when I say polytheistic, I'm talking about a system where there are many gods in the system. In ours, there isn't. I am the God of you people, the Israelites. Right. Right. Well, then. If I understand what Ruben is saying, I think you're I think you're saying that he's not claiming to be the God of these other peoples also, even though by the end of Deuteronomy we come to realize that God is in fact the God of all peoples. But he's, a, he's right. acknowledging the fact that other people do have many gods. Right. So so it God is God is not concerned with other people and their understanding of their relationship to their gods. Those shall no put no God, gods before me. God is not concerned about them, right? All, all this is our family story, so we're so God's concerned with our family, right? But there's no, but in the Hebrew system, there isn't more than one, right? It, it's not pure monotheism yet. Exactly. It's not pure monotheism yet. Exactly my point. Right. I see. This makes perfect sense, God's answer to me, in that when you think of all that God is, we can't possibly comprehend it. And um, um, so if God would say, uh, okay, my name's Tom. Now we could go, okay, that's Tom. We, we can't do that, put God in such a box that we could possibly understand it. So that's a perfect answer. I'm going to be what I'm going to be. Correct. You just, you know, it's a very Jewish answer. Yeah, but it, it makes sense to me. You can't com- comprehend what I am. So I'll be what I'll be. Now, you know, be on your way. You know. <laughs> now get to work. Yeah. Um, so uh, in an article about, about this, uh, the article is called What's in a Name by Amitai Adler. It's talking about this, I will be what I will be, and only what I will be, and not what anyone else wills me to be. Implicit in the ellipsis of ehye is the idea of anything. It is, in other words, the ultimate declaration of transcendent self-determination. What defines God as God according to God is that God alone of all things extant enjoys complete freedom and total experience of infinite possibilities. 
The name Eyeh informs us that God alone of all things can be said to embody the quintessence of self-determination. That, right, that what God will be is about God, and that's, and that's all that will influence what God is, is God. Right? Not what someone else wants, not so someone else believes. It's, it's absolute, the quintessence of self-determination. <laughs> okay, you were looking at me with, with like this kind of. That's pretty anthropomorphic to say self determination for God. I mean, it just sounds like we're thinking of God as just some other person. Right, so, so use, use another word that works better for you than self. Right, but meaning. This person's point is that this is the perfect answer in terms of, because it's saying something else, which we've been saying too, that it's more definitive, but it's saying, I alone will influence what I become. It's self-referential on God's part to say that God is completely influenced by God only. Right? Not what someone else wants God to be, wants God to be. Laura? Uh, it, it brings to mind the, the impossibility of answering the question that Americans always ask. Which one is that? Do you believe in God? Well, what are you answering if you say yes or you say no? What What are you asking that person, about that person's belief? It, um, it's, it's a really interesting point and a very interesting question because for me anymore, I can't answer that. Like, I don't like that question I, to begin with. But, but what I say to people is, what God are you talking about? Right? Like, because if I say, yes, I believe in God, then already it's what you think I think God is, which I can tell you is not the case for sure. Just ask Pam. Um, right? But for sure it's not what I mean. Usually, when it's, it's, it's affirming what the questioner believes God is, right? Yes. Or what their assumption about what a rabbi believes God is, right? Either one of those is not going to be correct because that's not that's not my experience. Um, but but I also always love to say I don't believe in God, right? I experience God. I was just reading this whole article about faith and about what's the and it was about what, what's the importance of faith in in Christian tradition. I can't remember where I read it, but it doesn't matter. And I and I so I was thinking a lot about faith in the Jewish tradition and and what, what's the role of faith, right? And and I and if we think of faith as hope, okay, I get it. Like the role of faith is important then. But I don't find a great role in belief in faith that way. Because that suggests I have to leap over a lack of proof, right? It was talking about what does faith mean? It means you believe in something even with no proof. And I'm like, that is completely antithetical to my theology. My theology has proof all the time that God is made manifest in this world when we behave in godly ways. That is provable. When we behave with compassion, compassion is made present in this world. There's proof of that, right? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, so I don't have to jump over anything to get to belief or faith. 
So already I have, a, you know, already the word believe starts to bother me. Right? Yeah. It is connected to the conception of what God means. If your conception of God is a little, you know, being in the clouds, you do have to have a leap of faith that that exists. Correct. Because that is not your Correct. And so that's why the question doesn't make any sense to me, right? Because my theology is based on evidence. Which is why this answer, I will be what I will be, is a good one. This is a really good one. I think I might have given uh, you a copy of it of several weeks ago. There's this really great essay in the Wall Street Journal about five or six weeks ago written by the scientist at, I think, MIT, who is, who work, who's Jewish, and, but he works in an area where he's studying how life could have emerged out of purely random processes. And he's supposedly the scientist on yeah, yeah, the character and origin in Dan Brown's new book is, is based on. Um, and, and he talks about what I will be, what I will be means to him as a Jew and as a scientist. And he says that it is, I am infinite possibility. I am continuing infinite probability. In other words, you know, I am everything that could possibly be. And, and then he says, don't use me, and don't Dan Brown, don't as the basis me, for Brown your... As your basis for saying there is, the, there is no need for God. And that I think that, because I don't think that, right, is what he's saying. As a scientist, he's saying, like, right, so that, 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 that the world was a random, that life evolved randomly is fine for his theology. It's fine in my theology. I don't need that to have been arranged or orchestrated by anything. It's random. It happened. Okay. And yeah, sure, good. Now I'm going to be a world. And now I'm going to be a world with amoebas. And now I'm going to be a world with cattle. Okay, you know, now I'm a world with people, right? So that is consistent with science and everything else. It is, and it's not a leap over all of that to say, I believe in something other than that. Not, not other than that, but that is antithetical to that, right? A little plug for, if you're interested, go to jwa.org, Women Rabbi Project, and you will find a number of video interviews of leading women rabbis who have answered the question, what is your understanding of God? And Amy has answered that question. I'm not sure if her answer is on the web, but if you are interested in seeing how a number of our leading women rabbis have wrestled with that question, please What's the site again? JWA.org, which stands for Jewish Women's Archive. And, and the, um, the thing to click on? Women, women Rabbis. Women rabbis. Mm-hmm. I, I want to go with Amy's idea. It's the best. <laughs> Let's see if that's what she had six years ago when we interviewed her. <laughs> 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 Someone's, when I send out the video, they're like, God, you look great. I'm like, amazing what six years ago will do for you. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. That's great. Well, that looks so good. Yeah, six years ago. Um, but to me, then, what it really means is it's an ongoing and always happening journey. No matter what you believe, it's the journey to me that's important. 
Amen. Rabbi, I have a question. Did these redactors, did these authors, uh, did they regard themselves as monotheistic? These writers? Probably not. They, they were, for themselves, they were monotheists in terms of their religious practice. Did that mean they did not believe that Baal was the god of the Canaanites? Probably not. We see God take on Baal, the prophets of Baal in Eli- with Elijah. So even there, our God says, bring their prophets, right? right? I'll take them on. Um, so it seems like they, they still believed possibly that there are other gods. It wasn't our God. We only had one. So they were monotheistic in that sense, but probably not existentially yet. Yet they become that. So Dana, I just want to say one thing to you. Um, one theory is that yud heh is what Moshe is exposed to in Midian. That, that it's his father-in-law that has an understanding of the divine that is different and that manifests as this being, isness, always will be, you know, existence business. That he actually learns that in Midian, which is a in very interesting theory. Yes, Robert. And that, that's okay. well, you know, we've talked about this uh, uh, many times before, but throughout this whole period, it, isn't it clear that um, the early Hebrews basically there was plenty of polytheism still going on for. And because it's argued about all the time, no more idols. Stop this. Quit worshiping Baal. Stop doing this, you know. Stop with the Asherah. It clearly was uh, to the question of did they have a concept of monotheism? If so, it was a big struggle through through this whole period. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It was a transitional period. Yeah, it was definitely a transitional period. Are you saying that this time the Israelites believe that it, there is one God for the Israelites, but acknowledge there are other people that have multiple gods. Yes. That transforms later Yes. when there is one God, period. Yes. There are no other It's gods. late. Yes. It's very late. Um, so I want to close with the words of Amitai Adler, who talks about that this is the perfect name for this oppressed people. Right, that this is the perfect God for this people that's about to be delivered out of slavery. This is the fit partner for those bereft of hope. The love story of God in Israel begins with the God of freedom giving us freedom. The God of infinite possibilities bringing us in the actualization of things so unlikely as to seem impossible across the Sea of Reeds and to Mount Sinai. What happens there with the covenant entered into by both parties, a relationship as close to an agreement of equals as is possible with mortals and the endless, is a matter of free people exercising free choice. Two independent parties agreeing to come together into a relationship of love with an ultimate goal of tikkun olam, mending the world. That is perhaps the ideal definition of marriage. Between God and Israel, this is, the, this is only possible because of the complementary connection of Ha'am Hanigal, the redeemed people, and Eyeh Asher Eyeh. Each and every human being has a minute echo fragment of this divine quality of Eyeh Asher Eyeh. Humans are created, but Salam Elohim. 
and the independence and self-determination of our creator is God's chief gift to us from among all other creatures. Recognition of that sameness, comprehension of the deep importance of the divine origin of that quality within us, connection to the creator as the provider of freedom, conscious choice to enter into a partnership with God for the purposes of effecting tikkun olam, these things are what distinguish the Israelite slash Jewish experience of Eyeh, Asher Eyeh, from the glimpses of the divine nature seen by other peoples. This is a quintessentially Jewish story, and this is a quintessentially Jewish answer to a universal question. Shabbat shalom. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday Morning Torah Study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.